Will you pray with me? Father, we sing our faith this morning. We sing our hope and our trust in you. And we acknowledge, Lord, that you have been faithful to us in every way. Every morning, Lord, your mercies are new. Every evening we're reminded, Lord, of your constant goodness to us. And so, Lord, we want to say thank you this morning. We want to say with with Job, Lord, that though you slay us, yet we will trust in you. That you give and you take away And we will always bless your name because you have been faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good all the time. That is really, really good singing. Thank you. Thank you, choir, for leading us and reminding us. I can't speak for anybody else in the room, but those words went to my soul this morning. And they speak to us where we are. Because we needed to, be, needed to be reminded of God's faithfulness in a, a sort of uh, amazing week that we've had. Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. It's been a week of prayer for Larry and Debbie Bertrand as they went uh, on a trip to find treatment for Debbie, we are encouraged in these early days as they come back and we continue to pray. There's a song on the radio that says, I guess we're all just one phone call from our knees. And I found uh, this past Monday morning when I heard the word about the Fritches, one of the families in our church who sat right back here in our 1130, who, who greeted people coming off the bus. Jerry has done that. Phyllis taught our first graders with a great love for the Lord and a great love for them. And last Sunday evening in a tragic car accident, Phyllis went to be with the Lord. And Jerry has spent the week with multiple surgeries. And God has answered our prayers for him. Then John Henley, who uh, was in this service for so many years, uh, went to be with the Lord. His funeral is Tuesday. My friend Ralph Lee is uh, holding on to life here, moment by moment, as he prepares to go home to be with the Lord. Philip Yancey speaks my heart when he says, if prayer stands as the place where God and human beings meet, then I need to learn about prayer. Because most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two themes. One, why doesn't God act the way I want God to? And two, more relevant to me, Why don't I act the way God wants me to? And prayer is the place where those two themes converge. So we pray. And I wondered this week, I wondered, what is it about God that would make us pray to Him? What do we know about Him? What do we need to know about Him that would cause us to bow our knees before Him and express our trust in Him? The psalmist in Psalm 62 said it's like this. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. That you, O God, 
are strong, that you, O Lord, are loving. Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 is a virtual exposition of those two thoughts. He tells us why we pray, because God is strong, because God is loving. Would you open your Bibles with me, Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. You heard uh, Randy say, I'm, I'm teaching the Song of Solomon tonight. Pray for me. That's a challenging text, but essential. That, that, look, everybody else is talking about the subject of, uh, of intimacy. Everybody else is. Shouldn't the church be heard? Shouldn't God's word be heard? I hope you'll be here and share with us in that. It's for our single adults, it's for our married adults, it's for our young people. We need news from another network. We'll hear from God tonight from His Word. Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. Would you stand with me? Above all, above all, look for the word all as we read together. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Paul had the audacity to ask God for power. And as I read these verses, I suppose the new takeaway for me after reading them many, many times is his use of the word all. In fact, in the Greek, you'll see it's all the families of heaven and on earth. His whole family, the NIV, has it. It's together with all the saints, we grasp God's power and God's love. It's, it's that God is able to do more than all. I wondered, how much is that? How much is more than all? We know all we want. We think we know all we need. How much is more than all? Because that's how much God has available to us when we pray to Him. No wonder He reminds them of the amazing power of God's love. And these words clash with the noises that reverberate around us that life is about the love of power in the workplace, in our homes, in our businesses, in the boardrooms of this country, in our universities. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, worrying and stirring around the theme of the love of power. But Paul says above, far above the love of power is the power of love. 
And if we ever get a grip on the power of love, we will never settle for the love of power again. Because the love of power leaves us empty. But Paul says the power of love fills us with all the fullness of God. And this God who has all the love we need and all the power we need is fully prepared to give us all and more than all that we need to serve Him in this world. Would we, would we ask God together as we pray for more than all? I remember Spurgeon's words. He, he said, we, we, we can't... We can't all be leaders, but we can all be pleaders. We can't all be um, mighty in rhetoric, but we can all be prevalent in prayer. He said to his congregation, and I say to you, I would sooner that you be eloquent with God than eloquent with men. Because when we call upon the Lord, we access more than all, above all that we need. First, he tells us that we ought to pray because our God is a God of love. You know the words omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent. I was searching for a word. Sometimes I just make up words. And this week I thought our omni-agopic love, our omni-agopic Lord, the God who has all love, loves his whole family all the families in heaven and earth, but the whole family of the saints, he says. He loves us with an incomprehensible, immeasurable, invincible love. Listen to what he says about this father. He says, for this reason, he interrupted himself, didn't he? He started with this in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, he was about to pray then, but he had to tell him about the mystery that we looked at last week. And so he says again, for this reason, now that you understand the mystery that's been revealed in Christ, that God wants all people to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. This is why I pray, he says. I kneel before the Father. I know you know that your posture in prayer is not essential. It's not the way that you pray. It's, it's the one to whom you pray that matters. But it's interesting that Paul raised in the Hebrew tradition of standing in prayer. That's the way they prayed. Remember the one standing in the synagogue? Jesus tells about the parable of the two who stood in the synagogue to pray. And here is Paul with a Roman soldier attached to his arm, saying, we need to kneel, I need to pray. That might have been inconvenient, I would think, for the Roman soldier, but it turned out good for him because he got to hear the greatness of God's power and God's love. And Paul would later write, and now throughout the whole Praetorian Guard, the gospel of Jesus Christ has gone forth through Paul on his knees, praying to the Father. And sometimes when we get on our knees, we gain perspective. For instance, Bruce Thieleman tells about that great church in Copenhagen, uh, the church of Our Lady where Thorvaldsen's statues are, at first glance in the dim light of that church, they look like just features made out of cold stone. But he said as you look at them, you realize they're warm and alive and they're living and powerful. And particularly that image of Jesus at the front of the church where his head is bowed and his arms are like this. And Telemann said the first time he saw that statue, as he walked in, he thought, it's a picture of Jesus at prayer. Jesus is praying. But he said as he walked by the man who was sitting on the front pew, the man said, 
you have to get on your knees to see his eyes. Telaman put it into practice and bowed down and looked up and said he saw such grace and such mercy and such compassion in the sculptor's work in the eyes of Jesus. He said, I had to get on my knees to see his eyes. And perhaps the reason you and I cannot fully comprehend the mercy and grace and compassion of God is because we are not often enough on our knees. I mean to say that we talk a lot about prayer and we read books about prayer, but that's not enough. God wants us to pray, to do our knee work, to lift our prayers to Him, to pray on behalf of our families, to pray on behalf of our city, to pray on behalf of our country, to pray on behalf of our world. And we must get on our knees. They say that uh, one of the great leaders of generations past, they just put two words on his tombstone. He prayed. I want that to be my legacy and your legacy as a house of prayer for all the nations as God gathers the nations of people who come to the city of Houston to join in fellowship with us by worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to be people who not only talk about prayer, but who actually pray. For this reason, I kneel, he says, for this grace, literally. I kneel before the Father because God's love is ultimately, as we have heard, faithful love. It's a familial kind of love. This faithful father has a whole family made up of all the people. Read again in in Revelation and hear about how from every tribe and every nation and every tongue people will sing to the Lord Jesus Christ risen in heaven, the lamb who was slain. They will sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And God calls all peoples to himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. So we all get our name from Him. Where did you get your name? I'm named for my dad. Uh, his middle name, Dwayne, is my middle name. I'm not sure. I never asked them why they waited till the third son to give my dad's. I'm really grateful for it in a family of D's, Dave, Dan, Dwayne, and Darren. I'm the one who's named after dad. And I'm grateful for that. Not long ago, my, my little brother... Uh, was in Saudi Arabia on a business trip. He's, a, he's an attorney in downtown Houston. Some of you know him. And, and he was on a business trip in Saudi Arabia and his wife called and said, it's time. Now it's bad news when your wife who's expecting your third child calls you and says, it's time. And you're in Saudi Arabia and she's in Houston. So he, his next phone call was to me. And he said, I need you to get down to the medical center because I can't be there and I can't believe I'm not there and it's premature and it's early, but she's going to have that baby today and and I'm probably not going to get there in time and I need you to be there. I said, brother, I'm there. I'm there for you. And he said, and I need you to tell her not to name him Joey. (laughs) And I said, just out of curiosity, why? He said, yeah, well, my college roommate was named Joey and he's crazy. And I'm not going to have a Joey. So you go tell him to name that boy Samuel. And I said, you know what, man? If you're in Saudi Arabia and your wife's having a baby in Houston, I'm not sure that that's in my jurisdiction to negotiate. You know, I'm there for you. I feel your pain, but I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not going to talk to a lady who's in labor about what she ought to name her baby when her husband, my brother, is in Saudi Arabia. I love you, but maybe not that much, you know? So I went down there and I did my best. I was very humble. I didn't, you know, well, look, my my dad came to town recently and he keeps the boys, my brother's three sons, the youngest one. 
His name is Samuel, by the way, and uh, little Samuel. And, uh, and you know, the truth is, he's crazy. I mean, he's really crazy. And I mean, he's more like a Joey than a Samuel so far. But we're claiming that promise that Samuel's words didn't fall to the ground. And I was just thinking how ultimately we all got our name from somebody. But, but Paul says, it's God who gives us our new name. Jesus talks to the church in Revelation and says, to those who overcome, I will give a new name, Christianus, Christians, little Christ. That's who we are in this world. We're the presence of Christ in this world. And he says, I kneel before the Father, his whole family. What do I, what do I pray for you? He says, I pray that you will know his love that you will know the love of this Father, this faithful love, this foundational love, when he says um, that you will be rooted and established in love. In verse 17, those are agricultural and architectural terms, respectively. Rooted, your, your roots will go all the way down to God's love. Founded, your foundation will be God's love. So that he says, you may know this fathomless love of God. You'll have power together with all the saints. There's our other name. We're all saints together. He says, together we can begin to comprehend how big God's love is. We're saints, not by, by the way, because of the way we treat God, but because of the way He treats us. We may not feel saintly. We may not have lived saintly lives this week, but we are holy, He says, because of what God has done for us. Holy men and holy women, holy young people and children. We're holy, 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 not because of the way we treat Him, but because of the way he treats us and we are his people and we call upon his name. And he says in his word, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. This is our God calling all of his people to pray because when all of us get together, we comprehend more than when we're separate. Together, for instance, we will come to know just how big and comprehensive and majestic and magnificent is God's love. He says, you, you'll know the height and the depth and the width and the length. Do you hear those contours? A prisoner in Spain during the Spanish Inquisition uh, carved a, a crude cross on the wall of his prison cell and wrote above that in Spanish, above the cross he wrote height and below it he wrote depth and to the left he wrote with and to the right he wrote length as if to say the contours of the love of God are in the shape of a cross and brothers and sisters we are right in the middle of that fathomless immeasurable love how deep the father's love for us how how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure How deep the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away. This is the love of God for us. As Bonnie sang it so well this morning. uh, If we could uh, fill the... If we could with ink the oceans fill and were the skies of parchment made and every stalk on earth a quill and every person a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how, how measureless, how rich and pure, how enduring and strong. It, it will forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. This is the love of God. I was walking through the preschool wing this morning as I do every Sunday when I get off the bus. And, 
I was coming through that preschool wing and I noticed the dolphins are there. And on their door it says, we are falling in love with Jesus. Then I saw the whale's door just a step up and it said, Jesus loves me on the door. And then the turtles said, we are all God's little turtles, it said. And I thought, they're getting it. They're understanding. And we're going to sing in a moment in the invitation. And, and that song that says, if ever I loved you, my Jesus, tis now. Every time I run into my friend Calvin Miller, he looks at me and says, Dwayne, do you still love Jesus Christ? That question is perfectly relevant for pastors and members to ask each other, do you still love Jesus Christ? Because, because, because Jesus will later say to this same church in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 4, I have one thing against you, Ephesian Christians. Remember what it is? You have left your first love. Every one of us who are believers can remember a time when we we're head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. I'm just wondering, is that true now? Is that true, for instance, of you and me? This love, he says, fills us. The love of power can never fill us, but the power of love fills us, he says, with all the fullness of God. It's an echo of chapter 1, verse 23, that other prayer that he prayed that we would know. Remember, remember know God Better And if we know him better, we know about his love. If we know him better, we know that he is a powerful God. Our, our, our omniagopic, all-loving God loves his people, all his people, with a, with a measureless love. Our all-powerful God loves to give to his children above all that we ask or imagine he says, he starts talking about God's power in verse 16. If you, if you look with me there where he says, I pray that out of, that's in proportion to God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. It's a, it's a measureless power. Thomas Merton said, why do we ask God for things if at the very same moment we're praying, we're already planning our plan B about how we're going to get what God chooses not to give to us? How does that work, he says? If God's power is immense, if His power is enough for us, then why are we always planning and scheming? We ought to leave it with Him because His power is an inner power. He says you'll be strengthened in your inner being. The NIV says literally in the Greek it says in your inner man. And then he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Eugene Peterson says, yeah, the inner man is Jesus the way God strengthens you is not by sending you this little packet of power. He sends you the person of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to live inside you. That's where the power comes from. And someday you're going to need the kind of power you can't find in the weight room. The kind of power that's not under the hood of your car. The kind of power that cannot be purchased economically. That cannot be manipulated uh, through, through our own sort of uh, authoritarian way of treating the people who are under us. Someday you'll need a power that can only come from Jesus Christ. I saw it in Jerry Fritch when I talked with him last night. And he said yesterday about noon, the light came on for him. And he began to deal with the reality of losing his wife and having been through multiple surgeries. And he said, you know, pastor, we are in God's hands. We are in God's hands. I thought, where does that kind of power come from? When I watched their son this week, this remarkable young man from Canada, Nick, who, 
who negotiated the reality of losing his mom and and caring for his dad in the hospital and all the family and watching over them, his precious wife Sarah, the daughter of a pastor up in Canada who pastored the same church for 26 years. And here's this young couple. Uh, He's 30 years old, she younger than that. And they're dealing with this reality. And I cannot explain to you the amazing wisdom of this young man who had faith and strength way beyond what anybody should have been able to have this last week. And the only way we could account for it is that Christ was in him. His first words to me were, Dwayne, we've got family members who are not believers in Jesus Christ. Pray that they will come to know Christ in this week. We've got to talk to people. I want you to preach at the graveside and share the gospel. I want my family to hear the good news. Phyllis had been praying for her family. This young man says, this is the chance for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Where does that kind of inner power come from except from Jesus Christ? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's, I thought he already lived there when we invited him. Well, notice that word dwell because it means more than just come to live in your hearts. What it means is that Christ would make himself at home in your heart. That he would settle right into all of your life so that your whole life is filled with his immense, inner, immeasurable, infinite power. How big is it? He says, our God is able, like the three Hebrew children in Daniel 3, who said, even if you throw us in the fiery furnace, our God is able. Our God is able to do what? To do more. To do more than all. To do more than all we ask. To do more than all we imagine. How? According to his power that's at work. Where? within us. It's inward power. It's infinite power. It's eternal power. It means that that God can do anything. And I wonder when we pray if we really believe that, that God can do anything. I love Dwight Nelson's story about prayer, about the pastor who was so compassionate. He was in his front yard and he saw this little kitten up in a tree and he he cared about that kitten, you know, and he, he, he wanted to get the kitten down. He tried to coax it with warm milk and food, but the kitten was afraid. It was just holding on for dear life in this tree. He tried to climb the tree. The tree was too flimsy for him to get up in the tree, so he had a, a thought. Now, in a congregation of engineers, I, I, I tremble to tell you the pastor tried to be an engineer, but he, um, he, tied a, he tied a rope to that tree, and then he tied the other end of the rope to the bumper of his car. And um, you see where this is going. And he, he, he backed the car up, He backed the car up and he got out to sea and he couldn't reach the cat yet and so he backed it up a little bit further and a little bit further a little bit a little bit and the the rope the rope broke. I don't know how to tell you this. And and he looked for the cat the rest of the afternoon. He couldn't find the cat, so he prayed for the cat. He said, Lord, I commit this cat to your keeping. What else are you gonna do, right? A couple days later, he walks into the grocery store. You wouldn't believe it. There's one of his church members. He knows that she hates cats, but sure enough, right in the middle of her grocery cart is a big sack of cat feed. And he looks at this cat food and he looks at her and says, tell me. She said, you wouldn't believe it if I did. (laughs) He said, try me. She said, well, you know, my daughter's been asking me for a cat. You know, I hate cats, pastor, but she's been asking me for a cat. She was pestering me. She pestered me almost to death. Finally, we were, we were standing out in our backyard, and I said to her, you know what? If God gives you a cat, I'll let you keep it. <laughs> so my little girl fell on her knees. He said, tell me about it. She said, my little girl fell on her knees. I'm not kidding you, Pastor. You wouldn't believe it. He said, just try me. She said, well, I, my little girl said, 
God, would you please give me a cat? And preacher, I don't know how to explain it. But out of nowhere, this cat just fell right there at her feet. He said, I believe you. Not always that dramatically, but always our God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or we imagine. He is able to do everything we need. And our God's not finally in the business of caring for cats. He, he's in the business of caring for people. He knows how many hairs are on our heads. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. You think he doesn't know what we need this week? He knows exactly what we need. Think about those Chilean miners. You think for generations to come, they won't talk about the day that the miners were rescued when technology from all over the world came together, when five rescuers went down into that mine a half a mile down there to get those, those men out after 69 days. And just so, he says, for generations to come, God's eternal power will, will bring him glory in the church because we don't sing about him saving cats or even miners. We sing about Him saving us. And we know what He has done for us. And A.W. Tozer said, anything God has ever done, He can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, He can do here. Anything God has ever done for anyone, He can do for you. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your amazing power, for Your ability to do exceeding abundantly of all that we ask or imagine. Help us, I pray now, to receive your love by faith. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.